Good morning again, everyone, and welcome to our Kaiju Initial Insights webinar. My name is Anna DeVitt, and I'm a senior scientist within the QDI Scientific and Technical Support Team. Today, our speaker is Dr. Lynn Mullen, an expert from the same team. Lynn completed her PhD at Harvard University and continued to teach at Harvard after receiving her doctorate. Before her time at Harvard, she spent several years as a research scientist at the Senior Sinai Prostate Cancer Center and at Quest Diagnostics. Additionally, Lynn has had many years of experience conducting research to identify the genetic basis of human ophthalmic genetic disorders, having worked at the Department of Ophthalmology at both UCLA and the University of Florida. Lynn has received numerous awards and fellowships from the National Science Foundation, the American Society of Homologists, and other esteemed institutions. Today, she'll be walking us through IPA's new features and functionalities. All right, great. Thank you, Anna, very much. And I'm excited now to um, show you all the new features and updates that have been made in IPA and over the past um, 10 months or so. And we hope that these new and improved IPA features and the updated contents are going to help you gain greater insights into your experiments and make the program even easier for you to use. Okay, and this is just a reminder that IPA is meant for research use only. Okay, so today I'm going to walk you through what's new in IPA, first by describing the two main categories in IPA that are updated either weekly or quarterly. And then I'm going to describe the data set that I'll use to demonstrate the new features and improvement in a live demo. And then I'll discuss the improvements that we've made to the knowledge base. And finally, we'll add um, end with the Q&A. So if many of you know, IPA has the best-in-class knowledge base, and this underlies all the results that you see in the program. So it allows you to easily view and interpret your data from publications. You can access different databases that are most relevant and important to your research. So we created the knowledge base more than 20 years ago, and it can be thought of as having two general categories. So first, we have the ingenuity expert findings and expert knowledge. And the expert findings are the literature sources that we manually curate by our team of PhDs and MDs. And these findings are updated every week. And we also have the ingenuity expert knowledge. So here we have scientists who create different pathways and talks lists and much more. Okay, and the second main category you can think about with the knowledge base are the findings that we import from third parties, you know, databases such as Cosmic, clinicaltrials.gov, Mirabase, TargetScan, and many more. So these are updated with every quarterly release. And so these findings are in the knowledge base or what underlies the results that we have in IPA. So these frequent updates are very important because we want to make certain that the information that you see in IPA is timely and accurate. We're not frozen in time. We're not showing you things from 2014. We're showing you what the most updated um, information is now and then beyond. We also have new features that we create in IPA and we also add improvements over time to the ones that we already have. So we're constantly looking at ways that we can improve the program. So not just giving you tools that you can analyze and interpret your data, but we also really care about your experience. We want to improve that as much as possible while you're using the software. So some examples of features in IPA 
are those that allow you to identify significantly enriched canonical pathways, upstream regulators, diseases, functions, networks, and much more. And a few years ago, Kyogen acquired a company called Omicsoft, and part of their offerings was a curation of publicly available data sets. So we were able to take advantage of this in two ways. So first, we created something called Analysis Match. And this is a feature, it's very powerful. It allows you to match your analysis against all of the publicly curated data that have been collected by Omicsoft. And you can analyze, we also analyze those data sets in IPA so you can make a direct match. So from that feature, we also created recently two additional ones and one's called Activity Plot. And that allows you to search for all the analysis match information by gene and also pattern search. So that allows you to find matches in those publicly available data sets and analyses to your pathways or networks. And the second main feature that we recently created from Omicsoft is the IPA Land Explorer. So within IPA, you could investigate a single gene and then go into the Land Explorer and you can find out how that gene of interest is expressed across a large spectrum of different diseases and normal samples. You can look at different cell and tissue types. You can perform survival analyses. You can look at correlations between gene expression and copy number variation and a lot more. So this combination of the knowledge base and these features enable you to quickly analyze and accurately interpret the biological meaning of your omics data. Okay, so now that I've described the overall basics of IPA and given you an idea of how much gets updated, I'm going to show you the data set that we're going to be using to demonstrate this new, the new as well as the updated features. So this data set comes from a study that looked at how SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2 affect host tissues. And the researchers, what they did, it was published in Nature, and they took A549-ACE2 cells and they infected them, um, the different cell lines with each separately, one with SARS-CoV-2 and the other with SARS-CoV. And they used a multi-omics uh, multi approach. So they looked at transcriptomics and proteomics and phosphorylation data. And we're going to look at the transcriptomics data today. And they also took some time points. So they collected time at 6, 12, and 24 hours post-infection. And we're going to be looking at the 12-hour time point. I had to pick one, so I just picked one of those. Okay, so now that I've talked about all that, let's go into IPA. So I'm not going to go very much over the um, different, you know, parts of the screen, but you can see, you know, we have a lot of webinars and different video tutorials and help documents that talk about the specifics. But just really briefly, we have up here a file menu where you could start analyses. You can also go and look at our help documentation in our different video tutorials. We also have a search function. So if you're interested in, I'm interested in a certain gene, or I want to see all the information you have in your knowledge base about a function, then you can do that information here. And then on the far left, we have the project manager. So as you can see, this is where my data sets are stored and your analyses. You can also go down and look at the different libraries to view um, information directly there. And then in, in the middle, we have a quick start menu. And so there are little shortcuts that allow you to go ahead and you know upload your data set. You can start little um, your different analyses and more. 
And then we also have these articles. So if you're interested in microRNA and you want to get started, you can look at all the, this information in our help documentation. And the new thing that we introduced um, just the past couple of weeks ago when we had our fall release is this new section. Sorry, the getting started section. So in getting started, this was focused on new users because we know that there's a lot of information in IPA. It can be a little daunting in terms of how you want to get started. And so what we wanted to do is make that a little bit easier for people. So we hope that you find this to be a really great resource. You can use it now if you're a veteran or when you're starting to be a new person starting IPA. So I'm going to go back to my slides now, and I'm going to discuss a little bit more of some of the new improvements. Okay, did that. Um, so one of the things that we did going next to the data upload step is when you upload your data set, you can see there's several options here for this array platform used for experiment section. So the option you select here is going to serve as your reference set when you're creating your core analysis. So the reference set is the complete universe, or you can think about as the background set of molecules against which you're going to test your most significant molecules in your data set. So before you had two main options, you had, you could go ahead and, you know, take a look at all these different arrays and select the microarray that you used. Um, the default option was this not specified applicable if you didn't have an array. Now, one of the things that more and more people are starting to realize is the importance of using your data set as the reference set. And this can be really important. Um, specifically, there, the reasons for this, and we call that the user data set option. So this is usually the most appropriate option for people to use when they're doing, you know, analyzing their experiments. And this is for biological reasons. So for example, um, different cells and tissue types are going to differ in which genes are expressed or proteins are phosphorylated. Um, for example, not all genes expressed on the brain are going to be expressed in the liver. So if you tell IPA, oh yeah, I measured all the genes in the genome, that's technically not what's happening. And that can bias your results. And there's also technical limitations, especially for proteomics and metabolomics data where you know, mass spec is typically not very sensitive at picking up expression and phosphorylation of molecules. So another option is if you're using a panel. So if you have just a small subset of molecules and you want to test, um, you want to make certain that you select the user data set option. So using that user data set option can really help minimize the bias that occurs in your results. And we wanted to highlight the importance of the user data set option early on in the process of working with your data. So now we included a new option at this step for the user data set instead of waiting until you're setting up your analysis. So any of the options that you select here is going to be transferred over when you're setting up your core analysis. So one of the reasons that we also put it here is you don't have to worry about forgetting to make that change when you go to that step. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, I know very well that I should change it here because there have been many times where I've forgotten to select the user data set. And then I realize that after I've already started my analysis, and then I have to go, oh, okay, now I got to start a new one. So this improvement is actually really helpful in preventing me from wasting my time when performing analyses.
Okay. So the next improvement I want to talk about is in regards to running your analyses. So before, when you started running an analysis, you would see two types of icons in your project manager that I'm showing here on the right. You would see a little rolling circle icon, meaning that your experiment is running, um, or you'd see this little piece of paper with the clock icon on it. And sometimes users would be concerned about whether they actually started their analyses correctly. So they would contact us and say, I think I did something wrong because I see this little clock. And what they didn't realize is that there's actually a queue where your analyses are entered into. So if somebody submits their analysis before you, then their analysis is going to be an analyzed first. And sometimes there are cases where lots of people decide to run their analyses at the same time. So you have to wait a little bit. So that's what that means. And then the other thing is that well, when your analysis is actually running, before you actually couldn't really see what was happening until after you um, waited for the analysis to complete. So we made a couple of changes to make this uh, much more transparent and allow you to view your results faster. So the first thing that we did is you can view where your analysis is in the queue by clicking on that little piece of paper with the clock on it. So what now it's going to actually open the analysis. So you're going to see the same tabs that you see in a regular core analysis, but everything is grayed out except, except for the summary tab. So it's going to show you when the analysis is estimated to begin, where you are in that queue, and how long it's estimated to complete. I can tell you usually this estimate is a little larger than um, what actually happens, but you know we have to give an estimate in this part. So um, yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it is a little bit less accurate. Then when an analysis is running, you might see over here uh, back in the project manager on the left that I see have some like little pieces of paper, but there's some green in them. So you can think of that green as like a progress bar. So as the analysis is progressing, you're going to see more and more green that will appear in the icon. And so this gives you a little nice pictorial view of the analysis pro um, progress. So when you, you can go ahead and actually click on those icons. And when you do that, again, you're going to see what the core analysis is doing. And the summary tab now is going to show you an estimate of how long each of those tabs are going to take to analyze. But now you don't have to wait to see your analyses. So as they finish, you can actually click on that tab. It's going to show up as um, black, a uh, little bold. So let's say when the graphical summary is done, instead of being grayed out, it will be um, black. And so you can immediately start to view those results. So this is pretty nice to do because these features allow you to figure out how you can plan your day. So for example, uh, if an analysis is going to take half an hour to begin, maybe you could go ahead and get some coffee, or maybe you could just go into the lab and just start another experiment, or you can see, oh, I can go ahead and click on this little icon. Let's see what I have. Oh, I can view my pathways results immediately. So you can start looking at the pathway results while you're waiting for everything else to complete. So I'm not going to go back into IPA to describe our next improvement um, right now. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but I just wanted to just let you know that part of the pathways have gotten a big revamp. So the first was an organization. It's um, the canonical pathways, the my pathways, and a new thing called ML disease pathways have actually been consolidated into one tab. So I'm going to tell you about a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But 
before I do that and show you results, I want to tell you about a huge improvement that we've made in the number of pathways. And this has to do with a new source that we um, introduced called Reactome. So as I mentioned before, we have a new release every quarter, and we always include new pathways that we've created or we've updated in IPA from our scientists. Now, before the fall release that took place about two weeks ago, we had about 750 or so canonical pathways, pretty good number. Now we've added about 500 new pathways, and these are from Reactome. So this more than doubled the number of pathways that we have available on IPA. So now I'm gonna um, tell you about Reactome. It's an open source, publicly available database of pathways they had also have been manually curated and peer reviewed just like ours. So the process they use is very much like what we do. So we have scientists that are creating the pathways and we put it under a strict scientific review. So there's a lot of synergy between our approaches that make this a really great source of pathways to add to our libraries for the analyses that you complete and run. But we set some standards for which Reactome pathways we imported into IPA. So first, we only selected pathways that were from human data and that we actually could find SBML files so that we could import them into IPA. So that resulted in about 536 pathways. But then we set some additional criteria to accept only the pathways where 75% or greater of the nodes were mappable in IPA. So the reason for this is because we want to maximize the amount of information in the pathways that have findings in the knowledge base. We want you to be able to explore as much as you can about a pathway. So for example, it's important from our perspective that you could click on a molecule and then read and learn all about it. So that left us with the 502 um, pathways. And when you go into the project manager over here that I'm showing you on the right, you can see the pathways in the library section of um, the IPA uh, section. So just like you do with other ones, you can go ahead and look at this little kind of tree view of the Reactome pathways. And it's really similar in our structure as to what you can see in Reactome. So for example, we have a pathway that's called the synthesis, secretion, and deacylation of ghrelin. Um, that pathway is classified under the exact same metabolism of proteins and then these subfolders and the name is exactly the same. So this makes it really easy for you to go ahead and look at the exact same thing. You can go back to Reactome and see what it looks like as well. Um, but one of the things that we did is we had 37 that were too long because IP will only select uh, the number of characters for the pathway is less than 75. So we, we did have to make a little bit of a change there. So other than adding the 500 pathways, what else does this bring to IPA? So the number of molecules in the canonical pathways is actually different than the number of molecules we have overall in the knowledge base. So we have tens of thousands of different genes and proteins and chemicals in the knowledge base, and you can access them through them for many different um, options and features in IPA. So upstream analysis, diseases and functions, your networks, and much more. But before the last release, only about 8,700 of those genes were actually in the pathways. So the reactome pathways actually contain over 10,000 genes. And as you can see with this Venn diagram here, 
our canonical pathways have a really large overlap with reactome. So we share about 5,600 in common. And there are about 4,600 molecules in reactome that weren't in our original canonical pathways. But again, they were they were present in IPA. They were present and you could see them in the diseases and functions and the like. So with that addition to reactome, we now have about 13,000 associated with the pathways. So this gives us a fuller picture of what's happening in the genome and proteome and um, metabolome for your experiment. So some other things to note is that most of the relationships between the molecules in the reactome pathways are reactions and enzyme catalysis, but we also have findings from the literature that show relationships like activation and expression in some cases, so that can allow you to give some um, some predictions of activity, which is not something that reactome can do. And as many of you know, IPA will group different molecules into groups and complexes, and reactome does the same thing. They Sometimes they don't call it the exact same thing that we call it. Um, and we don't use the same nomenclature there for us, and we might have new genes that are new to the canonical pathways, and we have to use their nomenclature. But when you're actually taking your data set and you're scoring them um, with these pathways, we do it the same way that we do with our pathways. We use the members of the groups and the complexes for the statistical calculations. And then one of the, react the things with the reactome pathways that's different from our pathways is that they don't contain diseases or, no or functions as nodes but you can always go into the grow tool and add those in just like you can do just about everywhere in IPA. Okay. So this is an example of what a reactome pathway looks like um, on the left-hand side of the screen. And on the right, you can see the exact same pathway in IPA. So we didn't import them as is. Our scientists spent a long time modifying them to be consistent with other canonical pathways and how they're viewed and how that information can be accessed. It does uh, make it easier for me anyway to actually see the names of the different molecules. Um, but you can also see some instances where there's re um, relationships identified between the molecules in our knowledge base that have that those activity predictions. So for example, we see orange here indicating that we have some prediction of act um, activation and the blue um, represents some inhibition. And that's something, again, that you can't do with the information in Reactome. Okay, so let's go back into IPA and see the results. So I have uh, my core analysis open right here. And you can see um, one of the changes that we made was to how you view automatically those canonical pathways. So for those of you who don't know, originally you would see the pathway view um, in the vertical view. One of the issues that happens though, and at least for me, is I see, oh, wow, I've got these pathways, but what are they? I have to turn my head and crank my head to the side to be able to view them. So eventually what I do anyway is I go to the horizontal bar chart. So what we did is we made the decision to just show that from the start. Okay. Um, and you can always go back to change it. So if you're like, eh, I don't really like that, you can just go back to what you want to see. Choose the bubble chart, for example, as well. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of different reactome pathways that can have a really big effect on your results. So when I first ran this analysis, well before the fall release, of course, was only able to see the IPA 
signaling and metabolic pathways. But now you can see there's many other reactome pathways in my analyses, which I'm going to show you on this slide. So just a note, though, the little, um, little circles that are green represent the new reactome pathways that hadn't been there before. Um, you will not see this green circle when you look at your results. It's not going to tell you which ones are reactome versus non-reactome. Just want to make that clear because some people, um, customers have, have asked, where are the green dots? And this is why. But what you can do is you go into customize chart. And then you can see here in this section, um, if you click here, you can see where the reactome pathways are. And you can decide, I don't want reactome pathways. Oh, I do want reactome pathways. But if you don't see reactome pathways, it means that there were no reactome pathways that were significant in your data set. Another thing that we did, though, regarding customized chart is we changed it because some of the things customers said is, you know, I, I go through all this time where let's say that I want to change it so that I have the BH or, in other words, Benjamin Hochberg um, multiple testing correction. And I went through and I decided I just want, you know, I want to have a bubble chart, for example. So let me show you an example where you can change it to a bubble chart. And then I can go back and I want to say the BH multiple testing correction. Um, and then instead of just hitting apply, now you hit save. So every single time now you open this particular analysis, it's going to look like this. You don't need to go back and change it again. So that was something that a lot of customers liked. Um, and again, it's specific just to the analysis that you make the change to. So if I look at the SARS-CoV versus mock 24 hours, it would not appear like this. It, I would have to go in and do that and save it. But if I close this analysis, the next time it opens, it will look like this. And another change that we just made is actually you can start searching for canonical pathways. So for example, if I just want to see pathways that have the term pathogen, okay, so I do that, then I'm just going to see that information right here and I can make that change and I can save that. So when I hit save, it's only going to show me those pathways that contain um, pathogen in them. Okay. All right, so now what I'm going to show you is um, the My Pathways tab. So in the past, we had My Pathways were over here by the lists, and we consolidated them, as I mentioned before. But one big change is with My Pathways, the My Pathways are the pathways or networks that you've created or you've modified, and you've saved them, and you've approved them. So that the next time you run an analysis, those customer pathways are going to be scored just like a canonical pathway. So before you couldn't get a Z-score. So you would get a white bar or you would get a gray bar if you had fewer than four molecules. Like I'm showing you here, these were ones that um, I ran before um, and I hadn't made any changes. But now what you can do is you can actually get a Z-score. And so the way you can do that, I'm going to go back to my slides to show you how you can do that in the future. Oh, wait, I'm going to go back and tell you about that in a minute. Okay, we talked about save and apply. We talked about canonical pathways. So here's the causal scoring. So what you do is you create a new pathway, and then you can set the color that of how this pathway would be if it was activated. And there's a couple of ways that you can do this. You could overlay a data set. 
and then go ahead and say, this is what the pathway is going to look like. Or you could use the molecule activity predictor, which is also known as MAP, and set this molecule, for example, is activated. So it's shown in red, and this one is in green. And I'm going to save that, and I'm going to tell IPA these nodes should be activated or inhibited, um, and it should consider that pattern for future analyses. But one thing to note is if you have a node that's white or you have a node that's orange or blue, that's not going to be used in the pattern. So IPA is not going to consider that. And then as always, you have to save the pathway so you can approve it. You can approve it while you're saving it. If later you forgot and or you have a pathway from the past and you want to approve it and you hadn't, you can always go back into the project manager, right click on it and approve it. So you're not, you're not um, stuck with never being able to use your pathway again if you didn't do that. And then here is just a little screenshot of um, just looking at that little pathway. And this is what you, you see. You run the core analysis, and then it includes the My Pathways for the scoring. Okay. So now I want to go back into IPA, and I want to go back to Canonical Pathways because one thing that um, I didn't mention is there's a lot of things that you can do with these pathways. Reactome pathways are treated the exact same way as a canonical pathway. So they can participate in graphical summary. And I mentioned earlier that there's an option where you can take a pattern from a, pa um, a pathway or a network, and you can actually compare that against all of using this activity plot button. An activity plot will take that pattern in your pathway or network and it'll compare it against all those analysis match data sets that I mentioned before. So here you can see that each dot in this volcano plot represents a different analysis. Our analysis is here. You can see with this little green dot right here. And you can see in this table, here's the name of my analysis. Here was the p-value for that particular um, pathway, and that's the z-score. And we've mapped it so that the z-score for the pathways are on the x-axis, and the negative log of the p-values are on the y-axis. And you might see that negative log I didn't mention earlier, but we take the negative log when we're graphing on charts because it's really hard to graph something like 0 0.01 versus 0 0.001. So this makes it a little bit easier. Okay, so if I want to go ahead and take a look at analyses, all I have to do is just drag my mouse. So um, let's just pick things that are like a z-score of three and above, because sometimes it's really interesting to see pathways that have similar patterns to your own. So we had it activated in our analysis. Let's see what else is activated. And one of the cool things that I noticed when I first did this um, is that the second result right here was from, whoops, and you can actually click on that, and it can show you um, the actual analysis that we ran. So you can see it just like we did. But also when you click on part of the row, over here on the right-hand side, you can see the metadata that we collected from the Omicsoft um, data. So we can see right here that this was from the SARS-CoV-2 analysis um, data set. And then if you're like, well, okay, that's great. I want to take a look at the data in more detail you can go to um, this hyperlink here, which I've already actually um, selected. 
And for this particular one, this was RNA-seq from single cell from these COVID-19 patients. So it's nice to go back and see the sources for the different data. Okay. All right. So now with that, I'm going to close that. And let's talk about the third thing in the pathway. This is the ML disease pathways. So ML stands for machine learning, which is how these pathways were constructed. And before, um, the way you could access the pathways, they weren't within, they weren't scored in your core analysis. You could find them by going to the libraries like I'm doing over here in the project manager, and they had been called ingenuity inferred networks, and you could just click on them and you could go ahead and, you know, pick the ones that you wanted to see. You could also go into the pathways and lists here and you could do a search. You can still do those options, but what's really exciting now is you don't have to go through there and figure out which ones you want to see. You can go ahead and see it in the core analysis results. So here we see it, it's constructed the exact same way as you see for a pathway with the My Pathways or Canonical Pathways view. And you know, it's one of the top results are kind of interesting here. So we see macrophage activation syndrome, the, see this, um, hejo, sorry, it's a long one, hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Um, and they're very, very similar um, uh, pathways. And when you hover your mouse over them, you can see the z-score, the negative log of the p-value, the actual p-value itself, just like you do with all the other pathways. And one of the interesting things that I found, I was looking into this in more detail, and I found that these three syndromes tend to happen with children who have rheumatoid arthritis. And it's a very rare syndrome. Um, but what happens is it's potentially fatal condition. And what you're seeing is that you get white blood cells, like in the case of um, macrophages in this one, you'll see macrophages that just build up over time. And this causes, this goes through and it just destroys other blood cells. It damages the organs. And it reminded me of the cytokine storms that we saw, as many of you understand and know about with the COVID-19 patients. So I thought it was interesting that IPA was picking this result up. And you can look at these pathways in more detail. So when you click on the bar, you can see the information that you would see in any of the pathway results. And you can open the pathway, just the same again as any of the other pathway results. And so I selected the first one, the macrophage activation pathway. I apologize that it's so messy, but you know, sometimes it is what it is. And this is the information you can get. All the pathways are structured so that the disease that we're interested in, that it's named after, is going to be in a node on the left-hand side of the screen. In the middle, you're going to have the genes that are known to affect that particular disease or function. Hide that. And then over here on the right, you can see all the different functions that are associated with this pathway, or sorry, with these genes as well. So we see things like response of fibroblasts. We see that there's mobilization of neutrophils. So these are all connected to each other using these molecules. And again, you can see the coloring that we're using because I have MAP already turned on. So um, the pink, or you'll see also red, depending on the intensity of expression and the amount of expression, indicates upregulated genes from my data set. A green like this WDR1 um, represents the um, downregulation, and then the map is turned on. So the orange represents the ones that we predict to be activated in these cases, and blue 
when it's um, inhibited. We make that prediction. So one of the things that I want to highlight, though, is I'm going to close this pathway now. Sometimes you're going to see things that don't seem to make sense. And you don't think this is relevant. This is like, a no, this has nothing to do with my results. But like I did here, when you start to investigate further, you might find that IPA is really picking up on that the signatures of something that's actually telling you something about the etiology of the biology of your experiment. So I encourage you to try this out for yourself and see if you can find some novel connections between these ML disease pathways in your experiment. So another thing that we introduced was, um, and I'm going to go back to this pathway here from my my pathways that I had created because it's a little less, um, it's a little easier to see. Um, so on the pathway I designed here, I have um, four different functions and they're surrounded by genes and in that are associated with these different functions. And gray represents the genes in my data set that did not pass the cutoffs for this particular pathway. So um, what you can do now is you can actually find out what cells or tissues um, are associated with these different genes. So what you can do is go to overlay and then you can go to this new feature called cells and tissues. So what it's doing now is it's calculating a p-value to see the enrichment of these different cells and tissue types. And those tissue types came, cells and tissues came from the human protein atlas. So now we have information in this new panel that appears on the left side of the screen, and it's um, categorized with these different um, different categories. So I can, let's pick, you know, physiological. I can use these little down arrows and, you know, immune system here. And so we can see that leukocytes um, are, there's a number of them that are significantly associated. And when you look at the um, the pathways um, or the, the tags, you can see they say CT, which, as you can imagine, stands for cells and tissues, and you can see the exact tissue type. So if you go back over here to that panel, you can see as you're clicking on these drop-down menus, you can see more and more information about which specific um, cells were, and tissues that we're talking about. And as before, um, you can, you know, see the p-values, you can see the number of molecules and the specific molecules that are in that network that they're connected to. And of course, if you want to view the tags in a little bit more detail, especially if you have a, um, a much larger, messier network, you can always go to um, the Path Tracer tool and click on the fade distant nodes. And so if I'm only interested in this plasma cells, now it's really easy to see that these um, are the three ones that are in plasma cells. Okay, so that's something that I, we hope that's really helpful and interesting for you. Okay, um, so now what I'm gonna do is, oh, so one thing I wanna tell you about is in the past, and let me um, center this a little bit. In the past, if you want to learn more about a relationship between a couple of different nodes, let's say that I'm interested in STAT1 and I want to say, okay, why, what is this connection between them? And what's the evidence that you have for this connection? In the past, you could double click on the relationship line. You get a little box that appears down in the corner. It would take a little bit of time, not a terrible amount of time, but you know, the time could be improved. 
And it was a tiny box. And so it'd be really hard to see everything. So now what you can do is just double click and boom, it appears right on the right hand side. Now I only have two types of, you know, two findings. They're both from causation. But if you had more, you would see them listed here. And of course, you know, you could expand that information to see, you know, the other two causation findings. And like before, you can click on this link that says stat one and immune response to see the findings in a new page in your browser. Okay, so now I'm going to go back into my slides and I'm going to show you a really exciting improvement this year that we made to analysis match. And just um, so I showed you the disease pathways. I showed you what the disease pathways look like. I showed you how to find different cell types and fast relationship viewer. So now let's go into the new feature called dataset match. And this is an improvement to analysis match, which I mentioned earlier. It allows you to match your analyses to all the other greater than 100,000 publicly available data sets and analyses that we've curated. Um, and so you can find ones that are really similar to your own, which in this example here is shown in Fuchsia. Or you could say, you know, I'm really interested in knowing which analyses are very different from my own. So that's shown here um, in this Scion cyan and or blue color. Now what we've done is we've added a new column and it's going to show you what the data sets are similar. So not just the analyses themselves, but let's look at the underlying data from these analyses. So this is going to appear in a new column in the table um, in the analysis match. Let me just close that. I'm going to say yes. And let's go to analysis match. And so here's the typical table that you see. And here's the new column called dataset match. So when I click on the column, I'm going to click on it once because what happens is when you open it up, it's sorted by the overall z-score. So what we're going to do now is we're going to sort it so that the data set match results are going to be the ones that rise to the top of the table. So you can take a look at these results now and you can see they're sorted by their um, their z-score. So a positive match will you know, be something like this is 54%, very, very similar. Um, and it's kind of interesting looking at these because what I noticed is there's a lot of single cell data that's popping up here. Um, and I'm going to compare this in a minute to the analysis match results that I got where there's not as many treatments that I saw that were was an analysis match. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And another thing I thought was pretty interesting is um, one of the um, top matches, I think it was this one, it was one of the top matches had to do with uh, coronavirus. Here it is, I think it's this one. Um, and so, and you can see the information here so it's picking up this SARS-CoV-2 data. And as I hover my mouse, you can see the full thing. So they use the exact same cell line that, that was used in this experiment. And they also infected it with SARS. And so I thought, oh, because we do so many updates, maybe this is the same paper. And so I looked at it and you can go to this, um, this uh, link here. I looked at it and nope, it was a completely different experiment, different people and everything. So I thought it was really interesting that it was pretty cool that we were able to pick that up. Okay, so let's um, compare that to um, 
the overall Z-score, because one of the things is you are going to see some differences because we're doing different things. We're comparing data sets versus analyses. And analyses are going to tell you um, similarities and differences based on things like canonical pathways and diseases and functions. So what I saw here is instead of single cell data, I'm seeing more things from the different diseases. And there's a, you know, Zika pops up, um, but colitis pops up. Um, some things that you wouldn't expect will appear, but you can see here we have a lot more um, different SARS-CoV things popping up. We have a lot more things that, for example, um, IL-1 beta, that seems to be popping up a lot in these results. So that could be a clue as to the etiology that maybe IL-1 beta is something that's really important in SARS-CoV. Okay, so you both, the, both approaches are really cool. They give you a lot of data. They, they just differ in some cases. And I want to show you an example because, um, let me go back to my slides. You can do this with small data sets. So this is one I think that had about 20 or so molecules in it. And here this is, um, what you can see is a lot of the results, this is, sorry, this is an experiment where we're looking at the differentiation over time of mouse cells, embryonic stem cells to cardiomyocytes. So we can see that there's a lot of matches that have to do with um, things like the muscle itself. So there are a lot of really cool things that you can find from both of them. It's just, you're gonna find differences in the approaches. And all of that I believe is, is pretty interesting. Okay, so, oh, we're gonna do that next, sorry. <laughs> All right, so one other thing that I want to describe a little bit more is with the data set match, you can actually look at the underlying data, not just with the data set analysis matches, but also with the overall matches. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to click on a bunch of these, doesn't really matter. I'm going to view this as a heat map. And when I view it as a heat map, I'm going to see the differences and similarities between these groups. And I can um, look at them and I can, you know, cluster the columns and I can see which ones are more similar or different. My analysis shown here in pink. And we have a new um, row here, and this is the analysis ready genes with the DM. And we colored this orange. Um, if you recall, an orange in IPA usually means the Z-score of activation and here we're just coloring it orange using a different Z-score, looking for the Z-score of the match itself, but we also colored it orange. And when you click on that, you can see, sorry, I clicked on the one, this one um, itself from our data set. Let me click on one from the one that is right next to it. That'll take a bit. And you can see that, and I'm, I'm gonna make this a little bit bigger in just a second, but you can see all the analysis ready genes from that particular experiment. I'm gonna make this a little bit bigger. Yep, and zoom in so you can see them. And one thing you can do is you can say, okay, that's great, but how does that compare to your data set? What's the expression of these genes doing? So you can go to this open network button right here, and it's gonna open this up as uh, a my pathway and what you can do is click on overlay and then go to analyses data sets and lists and it's showing you right here the data set that i had just clicked on so this is our match and what i can do is go to that add more i'm going to navigate to my analysis the 12 hour 
SARS-CoV and click on that. And now what it's doing is it's comparing the two. And you can see that here in the matching molecule section, we have these little graphs. So this first one, the little, the little bar, has to do with the one that I selected in the heat map, this um, control for kidney. And then the other one, of course, is the SARS-12 um, hour. So you can see that here, we can look for similarities and differences and you can view them in the bar chart. So you can see like this first gene, they're both of them are downregulated in their data set. Um, and we can see differences as well. So if I click on this one, you can see that it's upregulated in the kidney, but it's downregulated in the um, SARS-CoV data set. So it's just another way that you can actually dig down deep into the data and look for similarities and differences. Okay, so now that I've shown you um, all these new different features, and I did this comparison, now I want to go into the knowledge base improvements. So again, I mentioned that we are always making improvements to the knowledge base. And over time, we have gotten to over almost 13 million findings in IPA. And just this year alone, we added a million findings. So this includes the reactome pathways, but we also added about 20 new pathways. And we took 12 pathways that didn't have activity predictions, and we updated those as well. And then we added about 22,000 or so new um, analysis match data sets to the repository. And so here's a breakdown of those repositories. I can tell you when analysis match came out, I think it was 2017, 2018, or something like that, we had 6,000 data sets. And now we're up to 147,000. And with every release, we're adding more. So um, it's just amazing how much we have um, for you to, to look at. Um, and then we also added a new land called clinical proteomic tumor. So a land in Omicsoft is basically a repository of the information from the data sets. And we, they've taken it and said, okay, Oncoland refers to, of course, all the oncology data that we have, disease land or other diseases, single cell comes from single cell, of course, and more. So this new clinical proteomic land is um, we only have 254 at this time, but of course, we're going to get more over time. So here's just a breakdown of the current numbers for there. So we have about 254 comparisons from RNA-seq and uh, mass spec. And you might think, well, wait a minute, why do you have RNA-seq in this? This is proteomics. Well, the nice thing about this is that these are multi-omic experiments. So we're able to take the data from RNA-seq and we're able to compare them with a proteomics. And since multiomics is a growing field, and we expect to add more proteomics and transcriptomic samples as we curate data over time. So that ability to compare protein and RNA expression can be really invaluable for researchers. And you can easily access um, the information within IPA's Land Explorer. So I'm gonna go back into IPA and I'm gonna give you an example of how to do this by going to the genes and chemicals. And I'm just gonna pick um, a gene, it's um, P4HB, and click that in that search engine. And you can see in a minute, it's gonna pop up. There we go. And there's the PH4B. So all I need to do is click on that gene. And you might've noticed throughout, and when it said that it expired. Okay, um, that is not true. Uh, here we go. So um, you're going to see a lot of hyperlinks throughout IPA for the gene names, and you can click on those 
and it'll show you all the information in the gene view page. That information is everything we know about a gene. And we have this section here called Omicsoft Land Explorer. And you can see things that are broken down by the different types of um, arrays and, and like RNA expression and stuff. And for protein expression, that's a new thing. We have solid tissue from GTAX. That's the normal expression of samples, cancer cell lines, and general oncology. So we can click on that. Sorry, that was a little fast. Um, click on the general oncology. And now we can see uh, information from Land Explorer. So you can think of this as Land Explorer Lite, because if you actually have a license for Omicsoft Land Explorer, um, or then you're going to have a lot more information. But this is just a little light version of it. And this is what you see when you first open that. I'm going to make it a little easier to see the, the data by clicking on the box there so we can get rid of the confidence intervals. But in this um, view, you can see the mass spec intensity values, expression, if you will. And over here on the y-axis, the different disease categories. And every single one of these dots represents a different sample. So when you're looking at this, we can see that um, this gene shows reduced expression in endocrine, endocrine gland tumors, and it tends to have increased expression, as shown in this little legend here, with um, urinary system um, tract cancers compared to um, expression in normal tissue from the same area of the body. So this is a pretty cool way of accessing the Omicsoft data um, in a slightly different way that gets you very specific for the different genes and, and proteins. Okay, so I showed you the Land Explorer. I showed you how you can access it and what it looks like. And now we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna end with a summary of what we talked about today. So first I showed you different improvements to the features such as selecting the user data set, faster viewing of those relationship lines. We added new features, such as being able to see how long your analysis could take to a complete. We expanded on our pathways and our analysis set match offerings. We added that cell and tissue filter, and we also added the data set match. And then, of course, we had all those updates to the knowledge base, adding the reactome pathways, the new clinical proteomics tumor lands, and new data from analysis match and updates as well that we always do. Okay, so now we're going to go ahead and we're going to hold our Q&A session. Um, but if you have any questions that come up later or you need any help whatsoever on licensing, technical, scientific issues, please feel free to contact us. Um, we can help you with that. We promise an answer within one business day. And you can contact us via email at ts-bioinformatics at kaijin.com or for licensing, you can contact us with this email as well. Um, we are open five days a week, 20 hours a day, except for major holidays. You can also call us at these phone numbers or you can go ahead and chat with us. Okay. And now with that, I'd like to thank you for attending the webinar and see if we have any questions. Thank you very much for that, Lynn. Um, we currently do not have any questions on a Q&A panel, but I want to bring up some questions that we've gotten from our customers. So one of that is, how can I get more information on the other analyses or data sets that have good Z-scores when compared to my data? An analysis match. And I think 
um, it would be good to refer to the metadata of the analysis that you're looking at from analysis match, which okay. Lynn will be showing us in a minute. <laughs> Here we are back again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of different metadata that you can see here that's in the table. Um, what you can do is th there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. There's a lot of things in this customized table that we don't have. So, you know, if I want to see gender, I can click on that and that could become a new column in the table. And then I could do things like I could filter for that right here. Um, let's say that I say, oh, you know what, that that little SARS-CoV experiment was real, it was different, uh, I don't believe her. So I wanna see what the actual result was. There's a, a little, um, it's not a hyperlink, um, maybe they'll do that in the future, but you can go ahead and take a look at that data. It's in this column um, right here. So you can copy that and put it in your browser and then it goes straight to the source of the data. So you can look at where the paper is, and you can actually look at the samples themselves because they'll be like in the gene expression omnibus and and things like that. There's also a way where you can take this and evaluate the metadata itself. So you could click on this, selecting a bunch of those, and it will actually use a right tail Fisher's exact test. I'm going to move this up. There's something in my way over here. Okay, so it actually does that and it'll show you, well, what are the terms that are most significant in what you've selected? And then you can see more about, well, hmm, it seems like IL-1 beta seems to be very interesting. It seems like in the controls, we're seeing a lot of, um, expand that. we're seeing this particular cell line that's popping up quite a bit. So those are, are different ways that you can access that, access that. And of course, when you went into that heat map, when you select on a result, you'll actually see the metadata in the panel on the side as well. So I can show that in a little bit. Yeah, so let's say I wanna see TNF. I can see that analysis there. So I think if you just click, yeah, if you just click on the heading right there, this shows you the metadata. So just like I showed you with the ML diseases when we were looking at activity plot, you can see everything that has to do with that um, data as well. And then again, here's that source. You can go and just, you know, look at the particular um, comparison ID, the samples, et cetera. So does that answer the question, Anna? Sorry, one moment. I'm just testing something. <laughs> okay. So uh, apparently the link on the web link field is a hyperlink. It's just not formatted to look like one. Mm -hmm. Well, for this, the, no, actually uh, it does. Oh, there's not from there, account. but from the analysis match table also. But Correct. I mean, they're both the same link. So it appears gray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it appears gray. So yeah, but you, you can, can see click down on here. it and it will open up a page on your browser. Oh, okay. 
but it's, I think this is an issue on NCBI side because we're able to load the interface. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Thank you for that correction. No worries. And then, um, yeah, I think you answered that question splendidly. And then Thank the you. other thing that I want to bring up is um, we've had some customers ask us if they have a gene of interest that they know participates in a particular pathway, but they don't see that pathway in their core analysis results. And why mm -hmm. is that? So um, I want to draw everyone's attention to the customized chart settings this time. So if you go to canonical pathways, please. Oh, sorry. There we go. All right, so we have here so one way to quickly look for the pathways that are involved with a gene of interest is the filter by genes feature. So you can include a single gene or multiple genes here, but please note that it works with an OR operand. So if you enter multiple search terms, that it will return pathways that contain at least one of the genes. So that's one thing you can do. And then the other is the cutoff. So the canonical pathways that are returned to you are by default subject to a p-value cutoff 0.05, which is equivalent to negative one point, sorry, equivalent to 1.3 of negative log p-value. So if you set this cutoff to zero and then um, click on apply, then you will effectively or view, uh, sorry, save. <laughs> okay, not I had made some other changes. So let me go back to default mm -hmm. option. No, I still, I don't have any. Not for this particular, oh wait, I think I did a by L1B. Okay, let's see. There we go. Can so you, now you're going to be able to see everything. Yes. So this um, this line Can right here. Can I try um, EEF2, Lynn? EF2? Just to, EEF2, just to show them. Like here? Yes, EEF2. Okay. Okay. okay, so now you can see that you not only have three pathways, you actually have three, four, five, six, seven, eight pathways that have EF2 involved in them. And it's just that only three of them pass the threshold of 1.3 for negative log p-value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another way you can do it is even without making that change to customize chart, you can export the data and you can export the data in a lot of different places in IPA. So you could export that. And then when you open it, it's going to show you all the information, even the pathways that aren't significant. So you can see the exact genes that are in there, what the p-values are, if there's any z-scores that have been calculated. Um, you can see that information in a table that you can export and it can export using text tab delimited or you can use Excel. All right, um, that's all I of the questions that we have for now. Okay. Yeah. And, right, and I, go ahead. yeah, I just want to make one, um, just a reminder going back to my slides that um, sometimes people will have questions that come up later um, or they start to actually look at their results and they say, hey, I tried um, doing my pathway and I forgot how you did this. So you can always contact us again. Um, again, this is our contact information and um, all of us will be happy. Anna's a great person for support as um, hopefully as well as me, <laughs> or no, hopefully I'm as good as Anna at supporting is what I meant. Um, and, you know, so 
feel free to contact us. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the webinar. I thought it, I hope it was um, helpful for you. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this has made you interested in trying out the new features of iPay, which is supposed to help you um, narrow down the context of your analyses or quickly find what would be interesting to you. Thank you again all for attending and we wish you a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.